So this morning, I want to start with a question, a rhetorical question, but something well-deserving of our attention. If tomorrow you discovered that your income stream, whatever it is, stops, how long would you be able to make your house payments, your car payments, pay for your utilities, buy food, buy fuel? How long could you do that if your income stream stopped tomorrow? How we answer that question leads right to the title of the message this morning, Margin in Our Finances. Now, I I want us to remember the main theme of this is margin and the point of it being leaving room for God to work. Finances are something that it's really a tool. God provides for us through that, that we can buy the food, buy the house, buy the car, whatever it is to provide for our needs and needs of our family. But we get it so messed up in our world today that we start chasing a lifestyle instead of really seeking the Lord and using with wisdom what he provides for us. And when that happens, if something would happen like tomorrow morning, your income flow, your income stream is gone, how long would you be able to continue the way you're living today. In our culture, it's almost normal for us to spend more than we make. It's pushed and promoted on TV continuously. They say, whoever they are that do this research, that it's approximately seven credit cards on every person that walks into a shopping mall. I'm proud to say that I would fall short. I think of that and say seven. But if you start thinking of what's in your own purse, your own wallet, it's amazing how fast the total grows. And depending on how this, how the studies are done, they say that the typical American has somewhere between three and $17,000 on credit cards. Scary numbers. And as I said, what happens is there is so much pressure, so much pressure to live beyond our means, to try to live a lifestyle that we can't afford to live. Now, I'm going to sound old for a moment. I know, I am old. All right. But I do remember when my dad would look around and he'd say, I don't understand all you young people. I've had to work for 45, 50 years, and I can't have what you guys have. Now I will say to my wife, how in the world do these young people do it? They got nice homes, better cars, motor homes, boats, four-wheelers, rangers, vacations, Mexico, all over. How do they do it? And, of course, I say, well, it must be debt. Now I know and understand that incomes have changed. And I know and understand that many and many of our houses, homes, most of our homes are dual-income families now, both the husband and wife working. But there's a counselor who tells this story about three real families that came to his office for counseling. 
in the area of finances. The first family came. They had an income of $15,000. And he sat down with them and talked through their budget and their finances and and their $15,000, and they said, there is no way we can make this work. It's impossible. And as he looked at it, it was a problem. And then in walked the next couple, and they made $50,000. And their complaint was the same. We make $50,000 in the no way that the money goes far enough every month. We can't make it work. And he looked at what they were doing, and he agreed, this is a problem. A third family came in, and they made $100,000. And guess what the problem was? It wasn't enough money. They couldn't make it work. Their budget every month ran out of money before it ran out of bills. Now, we might say, man alive, if you would take that person that made the $100,000 and split it between the two that made fifteen and fifty, there would only be at least one couple having a problem. But I am pretty certain, experience would tell us this, it would only be a matter of a short time and that family that had 15000 and now has way more, and the one that has fifty has way more, they would be in the exact same position they were in because the amount of money they're making usually is not the problem. The problem is money management. And we are pushed and pushed and pushed to live beyond our means. This whole idea of buy now, pay later. Reality is it's really buy now, pain later for most of us when we fall into that trap. So we are going to be speaking about margin in our finances. And sometimes I know I get this response. As soon as we start talking about finances in church, people turn off, tune out. But the Bible talks about finances a lot, a lot, hundreds of times, actually. So we're going to talk about margin in finance. And we're going to continue on with a similar definition to what we've been using the last two weeks when we talked about margin in our time and margin in our rest and now margin in our finances. I want to define it simply, the space between your absolute limits and what you use. If I make $3,000 a month, that should be my absolute limit. How much do I use? The difference between the two, let's say it's $500. I make $3,000, I spend $2,500. I got a $500 margin. Is that a big deal or isn't it a big deal? Does the Lord care if we have margin in our finances or doesn't he? The reality is it's a safety net for us. It's a buffer. By having financial margin in our lives, there is a peace that we can have. And actually, there's a freedom that we have living within margin boundaries. The Bible teaches us in many different ways that we should work hard to create margin in our finances. And it has a lot of promises attached to that. And the primary one that I want us to really focus on this morning is the answer to the question, why is it important? Why does the Bible teach on it? It is because of what I just said. There's freedom there. And one of the primary freedoms is we're leaving room for God to work. He can work through us, even as he's working in us. God has plans, and we are to be good stewards of everything that he gives us. Because really, who does it belong to? Well, according to the word, it all belongs to him. The problem is we don't always live and act like that. When we don't have financial margins, it does a lot more damage to things than just our bank account. 
It brings stress. It brings lots of stress. Emotional pain, ultimately even physical illnesses because of this stress. It can bring shame and embarrassment because of a situation when something happens and we have no margin. And then there's consequences to the reality that there's no margin. Marriage and relationships. Now, you can go online, if you would like, and Google the question, what are the major causes of divorce in America? Now, depending upon what kind of category and what kind of psychologist or psychiatrist or social worker you're talking to, you'll get different answers. But in almost all of them, you will see when in the top three to five is money, finances. It adds so much stress to relationships. And living within boundaries, as strange as it sounds to some of us, living within boundaries gives us freedom. How many of you have read or heard studies about children and parenting that will tell you this? Your children need boundaries. They need to know what the boundaries are. It gives them a sense of safety and security and peace. And we all know they want to stretch the boundaries. They want to break through the boundaries, just like we do. But there's a freedom there when we live within the boundaries, especially if the boundaries are established by the Lord. Now, I'm going to be going through four different areas, and there are more than that you could pick out of the scriptures. But I would like you to just imagine this, if you could. Each one of these four things that I'm going to be talking about are kind of like the one side of a square box. Boundary, 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 boundary. And we're in the center of that. And that's our life. And I believe the Bible's clear that when we live within those boundaries, God's establishing, there's peace. I want to read a scripture to you in Psalms chapter 16, verses 5 and 6. And it says this, The Lord is my inheritance and my cup. You are the one who determines my destiny. Your boundary lines mark out pleasant places for me. Indeed, my inheritance is something beautiful. Your boundaries are a safe place for me. And when I live within those boundaries, my inheritance, the promises that you have for me are awesome. They're wonderful in my life. Staying within the boundaries. When I stay there, life is good, pleasant. God rewards our obedience for staying in those boundaries. And we all can be just like our children sometimes. We think those boundaries are confining. They're, they're limiting our experiences. They're taking away our joy and they're stealing our fun. And the reality is God knows way better than that. And as we get a little older, hopefully we begin to understand that. But those boundaries are a blessing. And when we stay within those boundaries, he pours out more blessing upon us and in our lives. So what are the boundary lines that he gives us, or at least some of the boundary lines? This isn't all inclusive. What are the boundary lines that help us in financial margins? Well, the reality is there are a lot of them in the scripture, and you know what? Some of them are so doggone uncomfortable because they're so specific. They bug me. They'll probably bug some of you. 
the first margin. Promise you're going to listen? Tithing. Giving. Generosity. Tithe for most of us, and I'm not going to beat this to death. We've talked about this before. We understand tithing existed in the book of Genesis, and it exists through the New Testament. But we do know there was a period of time in the history of Israel that God actually took it beyond being a principle for them and made it a law. And we do know, I believe, that it is not a law in the New Testament for us. God does not say you're a sinner if you're not tithing, okay? I want to make that clear. But the tithe is 10%. In those times, there was more than one tithe, actually. It ended up a lot more than 10%. But the whole point of this is, this tithing thing, is to put in God's people a right attitude towards the source of everything that we have. It's a reminder to us that everything belongs to God. Everything. And he is asking us to give back a portion. And the principle of tithe goes throughout Old and New Testament, but it was law for a period in the New Testament. He even said in Malachi 3, you know what? You're robbing me. And they said, what do you mean we're robbing you? And he says, you're not tithing. You're robbing from God. And under the law, he even said, hey, test me in this. Go right ahead, test me in this. Tithe and you just watch and see if I won't open the windows of heaven and meet all your needs. I believe the principles are still the same. Whatever amount you choose to give, the New Testament gives us some very, very clear and specific ways and attitudes that we should have when we give. In 1 Corinthians, and I'm not going to put all these scriptures up there, but in 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4, there's a significant teaching. And in this teaching, he tells us this about giving. It should be done at regular intervals, whatever that regular interval is. It should be done with consideration in advance. In other words, thinking about it. So it's just not, you know, this is, you know, I shouldn't even go here, but you know me. It's one of the things that bothers me about the way I give to the church. It comes automatically out of my account on the 10th and the 20th or some. I don't even know when. But there's two checks. And I'm conscious of that fact, but sometimes it's like, oh yeah, I gotta remember that's been given to the church. I really need to be focused more on, yes, I'm giving. I know it in advance. It's been planned. I've given it thought so that it means something, not only to me, but a reminder to me that everything's the Lord's. So we're giving it in advance. In giving it in proportion to your blessings. That's one of the beauties of God's plan with the tithe. It was 10%. How much are we supposed to give? If you give a percentage, it, it's, it's the same impact on all of us. If you make $100, you give $10, 10%. If you make $100,000, you give $10,000, it's 10%. He says, this is how we, I want you to give. This is New, New Testament. This is in Corinthians 16. And then it goes on in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And it teaches us to give generously, not miserly. Give generously. You know what? If you, if I get in your wallet or your checkbook, man, it's easy for me to write a big check because it's your money. 
If you really believe everything that you have been given or you have belongs to the God that loves us and promises to provide for us, all I'm doing is I'm giving away his stuff. There should be no pain in that. There should be rejoicing in that. There should be joy in that. He says, give generally, generously. It's like he's got an unlimited bank account. He says, give generously. He also goes on and says, it should be freely given. I hope whenever you hear me talk about finances or tithing or giving or generosity, you never feel manipulated or coerced or pressured. That is not my point, ever. God can take care of you and me and our church. He can take care of everybody whenever he wants to. But the reason that God establishes these ideas about giving and generosity and the tithe is because he knows he has promised to meet our needs and bless us. And he also knows when we don't, we're demonstrating a few things. And one of them is a lack of trust in God. Do I trust him? Enough to be able to give the way he wants me to give. And he says, give cheerfully. I mean, sometimes when we give, it's like it hurts to reach in your pocket and take out your money or checkbook and write something out and you put it in there. and You look at your wife and say, man, that was painful. Give cheerfully. Can you tell it's all about the attitude of your heart? Your heart. That's what it's all about when it comes to our tithing. In a sense, and I don't want to take this too far, but it's, it seems to me like tithing or giving generously is like an invitation to God to be supernaturally involved in my finances. I mean, there has been times in our life and probably in many of your lives when you sat down and looked at what's happening and you go, there's no way this is going to work. There's not enough money. Most of you know my testimony when Cindy and I were called on the ministry many, many years ago. We had a significant reduction in pay. And on paper, it did not work. There was no way. So man of faith that I am, I went and talked to the banker to make sure I'd be able to refinance. Tried to figure out what we were going to do with a company car. and replace. You know, man, I went into human mode here. I got to fix this. We had everything in place in the natural, but we never, ever had to do any of those things. Ever. Didn't refinance. Didn't do anything. Didn't borrow. And there was no way. A 50% pay cut. Can't work. You just kept doing what God called you to do. And it worked. And people would say, how did it work? And I'd have to say, I still don't know. We still don't know how it ever worked. I mean, it was it was an amazing time in our life. It was a fun faith walk. Except when I worried. And then it wasn't so fun. But then you've got to remind yourself, hey, it's God's. And he's promised. If I just do what he asks us to do, he's promised he's going to provide for us. I don't know what it's going to look like. And he seems to be an expert at last-minute rescues. Anybody else notice that? The last minute, here comes God. And you're just like, thank you, Lord. Couldn't you have came sooner? But he knows best. And I really do believe that, you know, in, in Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, 
it tells you this. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. That word first fruits is like saying that first 10%. The first 10% comes ripe, give it to the Lord. Trusting that the remaining 90% is actually going to ripen. And under the law, he was saying, hey, just give me the 10%. The 90% will go far enough, even though it's all his. Honor him with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Just paraphrasing it, it's simply, he says, trust me in this and I'll provide for you. You can get carried away and get extreme and really what you get is greedy. When you look at some of those verses, and boy, I got a big barn, fill it up to overflowing, that'd be awesome. Who, who knows what he'll do? But I do know this. He says, I'll provide for you. You don't need to worry about it. It's like, trust me in this. If you follow this margin, I'll become supernaturally involved in your life. So that one side of the margin box, or the boundaries, that one boundary is tithing. Tithing. And really, it comes down to to really this, I believe, one thing. Do you trust God? Do you trust him? We say we trust him. I say I know it all belongs to him. Man, it's like he's got to wrestle with me to let go sometimes of things. But if it's all his anyway, you know, if I came and gave you a $100 bill and I says, oh, I changed my mind, I, I, I need $10 back. How bad would that be? You just made 90 bucks because I'm generous. And he's way more generous than I could ever, ever, ever be. Trusting him. Second margin is avoiding debt. If you didn't like that first one, you probably hate this one. Avoiding debt. Now, debt can be defined a number of different ways. We can parse words like crazy. But debt... An easy way to look at it is if you cashed out everything you own and it doesn't cover what you got for debt, you're in debt. And that's being a very generous definition. How many of you have ever seen a commercial on television for a credit card? Well, I got into some statistics this week looking at this and all the different generations from me, the boomers on down. We love credit cards. Credit cards. You know what the average interest rate on a credit card is right now? Thankfully, I had to look it up because we don't ever pay interest on a credit card. 19.5% is the average interest rate on a credit card. Now, I don't have to be very smart to realize that's painful. When I originally got out of farming, it's because the interest rates went to 17% and we couldn't touch it. 19.5% to get a credit card credit. Why would anybody sign up for those? And I understand situations and building credit scores. Okay, I get all that. But there is really one primary reason. We live a lifestyle beyond our means. We want what our neighbors have. That was another thing my dad used to say. Just because your neighbor has it doesn't mean you get it. Dad, it's just a new pair of tennis shoes. But I had to learn. 
Proverbs 22, 7. The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. This is a principle. Now, I want to tell you up front, nowhere in the Bible does it say debt is evil. Nowhere in the Bible does it call it sin. Nowhere in the Bible that I can find does it clearly say you should never borrow money. But he gives a lot of cautions. A lot of yellow lights, if you would. Saying, if you're going to borrow, be very strategic. Be very wise. Do your homework. And prayerfully seek the Lord about what you should be doing when it comes to borrowing. Sometimes debt can be beneficial. For example, if it's something that you're buying that will appreciate in value. In other words, go up. Two things probably come to mind, or at least one for sure, when you buy a house. Most of us can't go write a check out for a few hundred thousand dollars. But if we can do it reasonably, we can do our research, our homework, get strategic, seek the Lord. A house is a piece of property that generally appreciates. Land is another. But most of what people borrow money on does not appreciate in value. A great example is driving your 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80,000 dollar car off the park, out of the car dealership's lot. Congratulations, depending on which one of those numbers hit your car, you just lost thousands of dollars driving it out the driveway. And sadly, it doesn't get better. Being wise with borrowing money. Debt is a good deceiver. It deceives you and me in thinking we can live a certain lifestyle when we can't. And most of the time, I would have a lot of people that would say, hey, we're doing fine and we got a lot of debt. And I'm saying, I'm so happy for you. And I am praying that the economy doesn't crash or that you don't lose your job. Because if one bad thing happens, it might not even be either one of those. Maybe that $60,000 car, goes, the electronic system goes out of it and you got to do the whole computer. I don't even, I'm just talking because I have no clue. But I know it can cost you thousands of dollars just to get the electronics and computers fixed in your car. And how much do you have sitting aside in your emergency fund to cover that experience? It doesn't take much, and all of a sudden, everything falls apart. And when everything falls apart, trust me, there's not much room that you're leaving for God to work in using you to minister to others. One of the keys to building financial margin is great caution and avoiding debt. Second side to the square. Third one is saving for the future. Most of us have heard all these things, and most of us ignore them. We Most of us ignore them, especially when we're younger. But the Bible's clear about setting aside things for the future. I'd say it's a small savings account is a safety net. And you can talk to financial planners. You can read all the books, and everybody recommends a certain amount, X number of months, whatever. It doesn't matter to me that I'm concerned about the concept. Are we setting aside and saving something 
for when life happens. When life happens. It seems like it is almost always at the most inconvenient time in our financial picture at our house when a major thing breaks down. And all of a sudden you got to buy a new stove or a new refrigerator or your car's got to go in and cost you however, however much. It seems like the timing is just always absolutely the worst. But when you have something set aside for those things, there is a peace that we have. Not enjoyable, but our whole world doesn't fall apart. In Proverbs 21.20, it says, There is a desirable treasure... There is desirable treasure and olive oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish person devours all he has. Let me paraphrase it. The wise man saves for the future, but the foolish man spends whatever he gets. And don't listen to me and hear me say that we need to save and save and save and save and save. There's a difference between saving and hoarding. Remember, it's all God's. We want to have enough margin in our finances so when the Lord asks us to do something, we say, hey, that's not a problem. Or when something bad happens in the area of our finances, we go, that's okay. We do have it here. We've prepared. The Lord has prepared us for that. So our whole world doesn't come crashing down around us. Proverbs 6, verse 6, go look at the This was one of my favorite scriptures when my kids would come home from Christian school. Just because you like to say it, look to the ant, you sluggard. Look to the ant, you lazy bones. What's it say? It says, look at the ant. Even the ant is smart as to know it's time to harvest and store up because we might need this to get through the winter. Look to the ant, you sluggard. Sometimes those ants are smarter than this mic. Learn. The Lord wants us to be prepared and to save. The fourth margin, we've got three sides of the square. The fourth margin, again, won't take very long. And this one is simply budgeting. I ask most people when they come to me for financial consulting, do you have a budget? Well, sort of. Well, yeah, what's your budget look like? Well, it looks a little bit like a check register. Well, now my young people don't have one of those either. So now it's an ATM machine. That's my budget. I go and I find out how what I got in it, and I'm good for another week or month. The Lord wants... Well, let me just read a scripture. Luke 14, 28. For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down, calculate the cost, to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build, and he wasn't even able to finish. We need to budget. We need to know, if we're to be good stewards of everything that the Lord gives us, how can we steward something we never check on? How can we steward something we don't even know how to track it? We need to do a real budget. And it's not that complicated. Start with what you make in a month, figure out all what your bills are, and then after you get back up off the floor from passing out, figure out what you're going to change. Begin. Change somewhere. For years and years and years, Cindy and I just kind of tracked our spending. That's better than nothing, but that isn't a budget. You know, if all of a sudden we're tracking our spending and just low, oh oh, by the time the oh oh came, it was too late. So setting up a budget, stewarding it, managing it, knowing what we've got. And by now, 
that's the fourth side of the square. A lot of you are going like, geez, that sounds good, Mike. I know it seems like it might be in the Bible, but I can't survive on my 100% right now. What do I do? You want me to tithe? I want you to give. You want me to quit borrowing? That's how I get by every month. My credit cards are getting closer to maxed out, but that's okay. I get another one. Bad choice. How can I save something when there's nothing to put in the savings account? I spent it all. Budgeting, what's the point? I know I'm way out of money before I'm out of month. We need to do these things. And it requires intentional decisions, and sadly, some of those intentional decisions are hard to make. We need to commit and recommit on a regular basis to making sacrifice. Just because my neighbor or my friend or somebody I work with can do this doesn't mean I have to do this. Just because someone looks at you and says, geez, how old is that car? I don't know, but the Lord's blessed me. It still runs. You don't need a new car necessarily. You know, you get the point. It takes sacrifice. And really, if we analyze it, it's not really much of a sacrifice. My car gets me from point A to point B just as well as the $100,000 car gets them from point A to point B. Maybe quicker and more comfortable, but how much comfort do I need? I sleep in my car now. So you've got to make the choices. Some practical things when we're looking at this whole process. First of all, I would say follow these four principles. Just start somewhere. Follow the four principles. It doesn't matter how much you start with, but start. Sit down with your spouse if you're married and make a plan. Just get started. And then be patient. Most of us find ourselves in the financial condition we're in because it took place over quite a long time. You'd be astounded what you could do in two to three years if you could just look out two to three years instead of look out two to three days. Be patient, but have the plan in place. Follow the principles. Take advantage of an income increase. What if you got a bonus? What do a lot of people do when they have a bonus? Honey, let's go celebrate. Well, how should we do that? Well, I got $5,000. I think we should take a vacation. It does cost seven, but we'll be okay. No. Take advantage of that increase. What are we going to do with this? Is there debt we can pay off? Is there something the Lord wants us to do with this? Is there somebody we're supposed to give something to? Seek him. Take advantage of the increases when they come in whatever form they do come. Fourth, if you have to start gradually in any of these areas, start gradually. If your giving isn't tithing at 10%, hey, start somewhere. Under the law, the Lord said, test me in it. I believe even though we're not under the law, he'd say the same thing. Hey, go ahead, test me. See, you know, I, I think I've said this before. I've had lots of people say to me, we can't give or tithe because we haven't got any money. What I've never heard anybody coming to say to me is, we've tried tithing and increased our giving and it doesn't work. Never heard that. It will work. Why? Because you can trust God. Trust him in that. Start gradually with whatever you can, whether it's in your giving, if you're saving. If you can only save five bucks this month, save five bucks this month. If you can only pay down a debt, $10, pay it down $10. 
start somewhere. And then kind of all goes together with start the budget immediately. Get started on a budget. You know, we look at all of these things I've talked about today, and you might say, well, gee, that didn't sound much like church today. You got to realize God talks about money almost more than any, and I think more than any other subject in the scripture, money and material things. Why? Because he knows it's such a snare. He knows our fleshly side of us never gets satisfied. Some of us believe the lie. If we just had more money or more stuff, our life would be more meaningful. Let me tell you this. The only thing that will make our lives more meaningful is Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior. Meaning comes to into our life out of a relationship with Christ. Not more stuff. Not more stuff. So when it comes to the tithing, avoiding debt, all of these different things, saving, budgeting, ask God to get involved with you. It's the most important thing you can do in any of them. Ask him to help. God, I need your wisdom. God, I need a plan. And he may lead you to somebody in the body of Christ that's good at this stuff. Go to him. Ask him. Can you help me? I can't, I don't even know where to begin. There's many people in here I know are very good at managing their resources. Get help. Ask them. But first of all, ask the Lord to do this. Which brings me all the way back to the opening part of the message. Are you leaving room for God to work in the area of our finances? God puts on your heart to help someone. Is there room? Is there room? Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you and praise you for your promises of provision in your word. God, that you promise us as your children, you will meet our needs. You will provide for us. As we are faithful to you, you are more than faithful to us. God, we know that in obedience to your word brings great blessing into our life in every way. God, I acknowledge that knowing that there are boundaries that provide a safe place gives us peace and freedom. Lord, I pray that you would put a desire in each one of our hearts to create margin in our finances so that we would be leaving room for you to work. Work in our lives and to work through us to be a blessing to others. Again, Lord, I just thank you so much for all of your blessings. And I ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.